this morning. If you're visiting with us, you're very welcome. Uh, and you're joining us just as we're in this conversation around reclaiming wonder. And reclaiming wonder uh, is kind of come under this thought of that we need to maintain a sense of wonder and amazement in our lives. We have to maintain this perspective uh, of seeing the Father through heaven's eyes, right? So that actually we have this wonder and this privilege and this sense of, wow, what an incredible God that we have. What an incredible God that we serve. And what's really important about this is that we keep getting drawn back to a place of presence, of His presence when we have wonder. But when we live without wonder, it actually becomes a distraction in our lives. When we don't have wonder, we get overwhelmed by the circumstances we find ourselves in, and we begin to focus on all the stuff that's not working, right? If we don't have a sense of wonder, our eyes and our focus go to the things that are broken, the things that aren't working right, and we actually begin to judge things not according to our purpose in God, but according to our preferences, Right, we judge stuff according to whether we like it or not. Um, so this, this is the line I just want to give to you at the start. Living in wonder reveals our purpose, but living without wonder makes us focus on our preference, which actually leads us to frustration. All right, let me put it like this. Does anyone know, does anyone know a perfectionist? Any perfectionists in the room? Yeah, <laughs> pointing at people. Perfectionists, right? Uh, and perfectionists are great. You know, you want a perfectionist if, you're, if they're building your house, right? If they're doing something, if they're, you know, fixing something for you or doing something, you want to have a perfectionist. So there are many benefits uh, to being a perfectionist or to having one around. But one of the key struggles of a perfectionist is that uh, nothing is ever good enough, right? Nothing is ever quite good enough. And the problem with that is, is that when excellence becomes the goal in our life, that the fruit of excellence is actually frustration. We get frustrated with stuff. Okay, a good example of this. A perfectionist will come into church. We'll have worship happening. The song lyrics will be on the screen. And horror, a word is spelt wrong on the song lyrics. <laughs> right? For us, we're like, oh, that word's spelt wrong, right? But for a perfectionist, my whole worship experience has been ruined, right? I had this, not only has my worship experience been ruined, my entire day has been ruined by something that's been misspelled on the screen. What actually then happens is that person comes back to church next week and is looking for the mistake on the screen, isn't that right? That we're actually looking to see if that spelling mistake is still there. And so what actually happens when we make excellence our goal, now I love excellence, but when we make excellence our goal, we actually give birth to frustration because nothing is ever actually quite good enough. It disrupts our relationship with God. It disrupts our worship experience. It disrupts the presence and our focus on the presence of God. However, if devotion is the goal in our lives, then excellence is the fruit. If devotion is the goal, then excellence is the fruit. I want to talk to the, uh, to the husbands and wives in the room. Remember the good old days of the courting? Do you remember those days? Or curtain, if you're from uh, the country in Northern Ireland, curtain. I mean, there's a few very romantic people in the room. I think of David Romeo White there in the back, you know. Uh, some of those stories we hear of David in the early days, wooing Joanne, I mean, just blows your mind. It's incredible. But there's some, some, some Romeos and some Juliets in the room. It's amazing. But here's the thing, right? When devotion is the goal, when you would start dating, that person, you wanted everything to be perfect for them, right? You wanted to have a date night. You wanted everything to be so good. You do everything you could. You like you, you put out all the stops so that this would be the best night. This would be the best experience. All this stuff. Why did you do that? Was excellence the goal? No, she was the goal. 
right? Devotion, relationship, those things are the goal. And so when those things are the goal, you do your very best for them because you want, uh, you want that relationship to be great. And actually, devotion leads us into excellence. You can't make more devotion by being excellent. That's not how it works. It works the other way around. And so today, that's what we're saying. We want to talk about this. We want to talk about devotion being the goal of our lives. And it's actually going to look at this concept within this of honor. We're going to look at honor. Um, and honor is a core value of this house. Um, and what we want to explore today are two things. How honor brings health to our hearts and how much of our inheritance in the kingdom of God actually is through honoring other people. We find that when we release honor to others. So if you could turn to Exodus chapter 20, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, and uh, if you don't, it's okay. We're going to have it on the screen as well. And just to give you a little bit of context about what's happening here. This is one of the Ten Commandments that we're going to look at today. Uh, and the Ten Commandments happened and the law was given to Moses. Moses has just led these Israelites out of slavery. They were uh, slaves in Egypt. Moses has led them out of that place. God has been incredible and liberated them through many signs and wonders, through incredible things. God's presence is with them. In fact, when Moses is on the mountain, uh, God says to tell the people not to go near the mountain, not to touch it because my presence is going to rest there. They're going to see my my presence resting on the mountain. They're not to come near because it's too holy. It's too incredible. And so they have this sort of expression of the presence of God right in the middle of them. And now God is leading them into their inheritance, right? So the, the context of this is God is bringing them out of slavery and he's bringing them into the promised land. He's bringing them towards their place of inheritance. And so now they need to begin thinking like sons and daughters and not like slaves, they didn't need to think like that when they were slaves, but now to step into what God has for them, they need to start thinking like sons and daughters. And so God gives them this uh, command in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is given you. How many parents are thankful for this command? I was just, thank you, Jesus, for giving this command. How many of us have, have used that command? Honor, <laughs> yes. If you haven't, I'd recommend it. It's great, it's great. I'm hungry. Honor your father, get me some food, right? No, no, I'm joking. It's great. But actually, it's really important that we grasp what this means, what this is all about. Why is God telling children to honor their parents? Go back to verse two real quick. We'll get the context of the 10 commandments. Verse two. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. But this is how God sets the context of everything he says. The Ten Commandments are found in the context of verse 2 in the verses. He says, I am the Lord your God. What he's saying in that moment, he says, I am. He's saying, I'm the God who was, I'm the God who is, I'm the God who forever will be. I'm the God of the past, the present, and the future who brings you out of slavery, okay? Who brings you out of slavery. So the goal for this, the goal for the commandments, the goal for what God is speaking now is to not reinforce slavery, but is to release freedom. It's to take people out of a place of slavery and bring them into freedom. What he's actually doing when he commands, anytime God gives a command in the Old Testament or we see Jesus giving it in the New Testament, anytime he gives a command, it's always for two particular reasons. Number one is to prevent heartache in our life. And secondly, to promote healing in our lives. 
to prevent heartache and to promote healing, to lead us into a place of, uh, of life and freedom. So when God gives this command, he says, children, honor your parents. It's not actually to, to, sorry, to create control. God's not saying, I want you to begin to control your children. He's actually saying it's time to place honor in their hearts. Because God knows that if we, when we're little people, have honor in our hearts, then actually when we're big people, honor will invade and infiltrate every relationship that we have. Right? If we learn as children to have honor in our hearts, when we're big people, when we're older, honor will infiltrate every relationship that we have. Uh, a famous philosopher once said, he said, give me a child until he is seven and I will show you the man. Psychologists will tell you, my wife will tell you that the early years of a child's life are really formative for the rest of their life. Like what they journey through in the first few years of their lives, those years of foundation that are laid down, actually it helps set the pathway for what happens the rest of their lives. They're really important. And imagine for us how much heartache we could have avoided if we had honor at the core of who we were from the very start. Could you imagine how many friendships and relationships we could have protected? How many of those things actually, uh, the heartache could have been avoided in that if we knew about this honor, this core value that was in our heart? Because when God releases this commandment, he's not looking for us to create new structures or create new rules. He's actually wanting to reshape the landscape and the culture around us. For a moment, could you imagine just for a moment what our society would look like if we pursued and promoted honor in everything. Like if we pursued and promoted honor in everything, what would it look like? Never mind the city for the moment, never mind the country. Think about the church as a whole. Think about the church in this city as a whole. What if the church, the children of God, actually held honor as a core value in their hearts? What would that look like? What would that look like? We wouldn't see people uh, trying to tear each other down. We wouldn't see people putting things online and talking about this person, talking about that person. We wouldn't see any of that stuff. What we'd actually see are people who are looking for the best in each other and trying their hardest and looking for places where they can honor each other. Jesus says it like this. He says, this is how the world will know you're my disciples. This is how people will know that you're part of the family of God, by your love for one another. This is how they'll know you're my followers. This is how they know that you belong to me, by your love for one another. So how then, how do we begin this process of carrying honor? How do we make this a core value in our lives? And actually, what is honor? What actually is honor? Very, very simply put, honor means that we look for the good that the Father has placed in others. We look for the good that the Father has placed in others, and that is the perspective through which we see them. It's actually seeing people through the lens, the perspective of God the Father. It's seeing them through His eyes and calling them according to who they are in God. So we were talking a little bit there about uh, School of Mission, uh, and uh, one of the things we do in School of Mission, uh, we, we go through lots of different topics. You know, we talk about the, the prophetic, we talk about healing and calling, we talk about anointing, we talk about lots of things. But when we're talking about the prophetic, the very first thing that we do when we're teaching people how to begin to push into pro uh, to prophecy and all those, those sorts of things, the very first thing we do is teach people, you must look for the gold in people's lives. 
If you want to, you can very easily look for the dirt in people's lives. Now, if you spend a little bit of time with me, it wouldn't take you very long to find some dirt, right? You wouldn't have to dig very much and you'd find some dirt. You just have to spend probably more than five minutes in my company, right? And you'd be like, oh, there's, I'll make this list now. And it's very easy to begin to look for the stuff, look for the failures, look for the brokenness, look for that stuff in people's lives. But what God actually calls us to do, he calls us to look for the, the gold in people's lives. And so what we normally do, and we did this with the, uh, the American team as well, we, um, we get somebody to sit uh, at the front in a chair, and as they're sitting in a chair, we get people around them who know them. We say, okay, now you need to list 10 things that are amazing about that person, and you're not allowed to be prophetic. Like, you're not allowed to ask God, what is he saying? You have to list 10 things that are amazing about that, that person. And we've done it. And you know, it's okay. It's good for the first, like, five or six. And then it gets really hard, doesn't it? And then it's a little bit embarrassing because we've run out of things to say about the person. This is getting awkward. Uh, and so what we're actually doing in that moment is we're pushing in and going, what has God put in this person? And what is the goal that is there? Because that is the foundation of where we start from, where we look for the goal. Now, when we make that list of stuff and then we read it back to them and we say to them, how did that make you feel? Normally what they say is, really good. <laughs> really good, right? It makes, feel, makes me feel loved. That's what they say. And that's what, we, that's what we have to do. Honor does that. It latches on and relentlessly chooses to focus on the good that the Father has placed on people. It latches onto it and focuses on the good that the Father has put on people. So I'm going to give you some homework, okay? The teachers in the room just heard a swear word. I just said homework. Yes, I did. You're like, this is the summer holidays. I want to give you some homework, okay? I want you in this moment right now, I want you to think about the five closest people in your life right now, whether it's your friends or your family, the five people, I want you to consider those. Just take a moment, consider those five people. And now what I want you to do over the course of this week, I want you to actually make a list of the amazing things that God has put in their lives. Like what is it in them as a person as a reflection of the character of God? What is it that is in them that is special, that is unique, that's incredible? What is it that um, makes you go, wow, this is something that's gold in your life, right? And I want you to make a list of those things. And then if you're feeling courageous enough, I want you to actually go and tell them. I want you to tell them, listen, I'm doing my homework and this is the list of stuff that I saw that was amazing in your life and I want to give to you. And just watch what happens to that relationship, right? Just watch what happens to the dynamics there. It's really a powerful thing to do if you feel bold enough. So are you going to do that? <laughs> Five of us, awesome. I want to really encourage you, go after it, do it, because it's a, it's a powerful thing. Dishonor. Dishonor latches on to mistakes. It latches on to the hurt that people have caused us, right? It latches on to the, to the mistakes and the hurt and the brokenness and the stuff that we experience to the exclusion of everything else. So that whenever we think of that person, all we think of is that thing, right? That's what dishonor does. It creates this moment, this thing where we just look at it and we don't see anything else. We just see the, the hurt and the brokenness. But honor does exactly the same except it focuses on the good to the exclusion of everything else. It chooses and it pursues the good that God has put into people's lives. How are we doing? We all right? We're doing okay? Turn to the person beside you and say, are you doing okay? Say, we're doing okay. How is everyone? Are we actually okay? Yes? All right. Okay. Now, it's probably time 
to put on your flak jackets. Okay, we're about to get deep here. We're going to go a bit harder, a bit in, a bit further. And I'll check in with you every so often just to make sure we're doing okay. All right, I'll ch- just to make sure we're still breathing. Um, so here it says, honor your parents, right? It's a commandment, but it was never designed to be a structure. It was designed to be a culture. It was never designed to be a structure. It was designed to be a culture. Put it this way. If you have to tell your kids to honor you, it's not honor that you're receiving from them. If you say, honor me, (laughs) it's not honor that you're getting from them. The more rules that we have, the less honor there is. The more rules we have, the less honor there actually is. Think about our homes, right? If we keep, uh, keep making rules in our relationships, it actually reduces the amount of honor that we have within our relationships. We actually only make rules in the absence of honor. We make rules in the absence of honor. Every child, and we, we know this, right? Every child will get to the age where rules actually become obstacles to be overcome, don't they? like the rules actually become uh, something that we need to overcome. I, I know this because when I was like 13, 14 years of age, every rule, I was like, how do I get past this rule? How do I find a way to get over this, around this? How do I break through this rule? Um, I think my mom was born in Derry, so uh, that rebellious spirit probably just comes from that side of the family, I think. But um, yeah, we, we look for these things where the rules don't have the same power on our lives anymore, right? And so at that stage, if all we've done is put rules on our children, then we haven't focused on the core value of honor, then what are they going to do when the rules are no longer applicable to them, when they begin to become more independent? Their inner compass isn't going to be able to work that well, right? Whereas if we choose to pour the value of honor into their lives, where we pour that core into their lives, then actually when the rules aren't there, they'll know the choices that they need to make, right? They'll know when we pour honor in, because we can only actually ever reproduce on the outside what is already on the inside. We can only reproduce on the outside what is actually on the inside. And we're going to get a bit more touchy here with this, but show me a marriage that is full of rules and you'll re- see a relationship that is lacking in honor. Right? If you have a marriage that is full of rules, you'll actually have a relationship that is lacking in honor. It's hard, but it's true, isn't it? It's true. And the reason we make these rules is because normally we're afraid that people will hurt us. The reason we have rules most of the time is because of fear. It's fear. And when we're afraid that people will hurt us, we try and gain control. We try and control the environment. We try and control what happens. We look for the upper hand in relationships. And then fear begins to creep in. And when fear creeps in, love actually diminishes. And when love diminishes... Honor leaves. Honor leaves. I want to say something now. Some of you might find challenging um, because it might uh, challenge your perception of who God is. Um, And uh, you can send emails to John uh, afterwards. John's very happy to pick those up. All right. But God is not interested in controlling your life. He's not interested in controlling your life. Because control is a fruit of fear, which exists in the absence of love. Because we know, right? We know when we want more control and we have lots of rules, then relationship actually suffers. 
And that's the furthest thing from the heart of God. It's the furthest thing for the heart of God. Now, God does have a preferred destiny for your life. God does have a path for you that he would love for you to walk in and he's calling you to step into. He has an inheritance, just like we read through the scriptures. There is a promised land. There is an inheritance. There are things that he's leading you into and calling you into. And he's encouraging you and say, come on, go after this stuff. But he's not gonna force you to step into that because he gives you the choice. Think of Jesus, right? When Jesus came to earth, Jesus didn't come with control. He wasn't born into palatial luxury, right? He wasn't born into this uh, world where people immediately came and the whole world came and bowed down before him. No, he was born in the most humble of circumstances and the shepherds and the people from afar came and recognized who he was. But no, he was born into this incredible humility. When Jesus walked through life, he spent most of his time with the people who were full of despair, the people who were cast to the side, the people that weren't the influencers of their time, right? He was with the people who were on the outside. In fact, it says just before Jesus went to the cross, after he had the last supper, it said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had put everything under his feet, knowing that God had given everything to him, Jesus, knowing that he was the King of Kings, knowing he had the, the greatest moment of clarity in his life of who he was and what he was called to do, it says in that moment, he took a towel, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples, right? He began to wash the feet of the disciples, knowing who he was. He came in vulnerability, he came in surrender, and he came in humility. This is what Isaiah 53 and verse seven says about Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Jesus did not come to take control of your life, but he came in vulnerability and in surrender as he was on the cross. Remember, Jesus, while he's on the cross, in that moment, he could have come off the cross. He could have come down. The angels, he could have called them down to tend to his needs. In that moment, he could do that, but he chose not to. He was surrendered on the cross, vulnerable on the cross, and the words that came from his mouth as he spoke to the Father, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. He's there surrendered so he could release freedom in our lives, so he could restore relationship in our lives through the surrender on the cross. And until we realize that God isn't trying to control us, we'll try and control everybody around us. Until you realize God's not trying to control you, you are going to try and control everybody around you. Our faith will be built on this uh, idea of control and micromanagement, controlling the outcomes, controlling this, controlling that, everything. I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever met a control freak that's outrageously happy? <laughs> no. A control freak that is outrageously happy. No, you don't, right? Because it's not, it's very stressful. <laughs> it's very, very stressful. So in every relationship that we have, we have the choice of reaching for control or releasing honor. And God wants us to get this early. So early that he says, children, honor your parents. 
honor your parents. Okay, turn to the person beside you and say, are you okay? Are we still alive? Check their pulse, their vital signs. Are we still there? It's in messages like this, you kind of wish you had like a donut break. Isn't that right? You like say coffee and donuts, passing through. That's a good idea, isn't it? Instead of passing the buckets for the offering, we pass donuts around the room. That'd be great. The reality is with honor, okay, we're talking about children honoring their parents, but the reality is with honor is that honor in a family is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Um, it's our responsibility to teach our children how to handle their hearts with honor and integrity. But our children will never honor their parents, will never honor their fathers and their mothers if fathers and mothers don't honor their children. It'll not work. They actually need to see an honorable relationship in front of their eyes. They have to see it demonstrated before them. They have to actually be a part of it and sense it. Now, if we don't carry honor, speaking to families at the moment, if we don't carry honor towards our wives or we don't carry honor towards our husbands, then we actually have no right to expect honor from our children. We have no right to expect honor from our kids. If I speak ill of my wife, if I speak ill of my parents, if I even speak ill of my mother-in-law, Right. God help me, <laughs> if I speak ill of any of those people, I'm actually creating a pathway for dishonor in my children's lives. If I speak ill of those people, if I critique and I criticize them, then I actually create a pathway of dishonor in my children's hearts. I remember having a, a real moment of clarity a few years ago. Um, at this point, you say, do you another one, Patty? Yeah. Uh, I remember having a real moment of clarity a few years ago, um, and I was just walking uh, somewhere, and I was feeling a little bit frustrated. And it was due with a particular issue, but it was between myself and my father, right? Myself and my dad, uh, and uh, we're, we're both quite good at sort of saying what we think to each other. And so I remember just feeling a little bit frustrated about something. And uh, in that moment, I just really felt like God brought Joel, my son Joel, who's now seven, brought his face to my mind's eye and I saw him. And then I, I felt God speak to me and I felt him say this. He said, how you treat your son when you're both older will be modeled by how you honor your father now. Sorry, how your son, I got that wrong. How your son will treat you when you're older, will be modeled by how you honor your father now. And it was in that moment, I was like, that, that's heavy. <laughs> so how I want Joel to treat me when I'm older and he's older is actually modeled by how I honor my father now. That is heavy, isn't it? So what we do now actually will dictate what begins to happen in our future and in our family's lives in the future, it's pretty sobering because it's impossible to be honoring and to criticize somebody in the same way, in the same time. It's actually impossible to carry anger in your life and carry honor at the same time. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it was never the, uh, sorry, the design of heaven for us. So we're coming into a close now. We're coming into the last bit. And this is that honor releases inheritance. Um, we live in a culture that is really good at honoring the heroes of our past, right? 
whatever, whatever culture you've grown up in, whatever politics you, um, you affiliate yourself to or whatever, we're really good at remembering the stuff of our past, right? I mean, we're good at bonfires and marches, aren't we? I mean, if there was a World Cup of bonfires and marches, I think we'd be doing pretty well. We'd be uh, in the finals anyway. Um, and we just had, obviously, a big one there on Friday, uh, the commemoration of the Battle of the Boyne and all those things. And so we, we, uh, we mark these moments in our history and we celebrate moments in our history that either bring liberty or bring freedom or does something that brings some level of victory in our lives, whatever culture, whatever side you find yourself on in that, right? That's no problem. That's fine. Um, if you want to celebrate that stuff, that is fantastic. I'm all for celebrating the heroes of the past and all the things that uh, people have done for you. However, there's a problem if we honor the people of our past and we dishonor the people of our present. If we're really good at honoring the people of our past, but we're not very good at honoring the people of our present, then it cancels each other out. It's kind of a waste. It's kind of a waste. If we use the freedom that we have been given, that somebody has fought for us and to give to us, if we use that freedom to remove somebody else's freedom, then we've just abused the freedom that we've been given. Right? This, this got really heavy very quick. But if we use the freedom that we've been given to remove somebody else's freedom, we've lost it. We've absolutely lost it. We've just moved into dishonor. The Apostle John, he puts it like this in 1 John 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. That's where he gets heavy on it. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must, say must, must also love their brother and sister. Must. It's not an optional extra. There's certain things in faith and theology you can opt in uh, into and opt out of. There's things like, oh, I don't know if you can do that. You can't opt out of this one. You can't opt out of this. It says, must also love their brother and sister. And it's until we honor what God has placed in other people, we'll never take hold of what he has for us. Until we honor what God has placed in others, we will never take hold of what he has for us. And just as we're closing, I just want to just have a real moment of honesty and transparency in the room. We're talking about honor today. And sooner or later, all of us will go through moments in relationships where uh, things will be difficult. and It will be hard to honor. And we cannot, in this moment right now, we can't even presume some of the experiences that you have gone through in your life. Through perhaps even at the hands of your family, right? And so this, this commandment, is exceptionally, exceptionally difficult for you. It's so hard to even fathom, how do I begin to do this? It's difficult. And, and we, know, we get that. Even though we don't understand what you've walked through, we, we get that. But we still have a choice to either withhold or release honor. We still have the choice to do honor. Because we can never allow how somebody else has treated us to control who we are. 
We can never allow what somebody else has done to us to actually control who we are because the moment we do that, the moment we allow that to happen is the moment we become a prisoner. Is the moment we become a prisoner. Put it like this. Uh, if you have a, a relationship and you're betrayed in that relationship or you're hurt in that relationship, what we normally do is we make a vow. We make a promise. I promise to never allow somebody that close to me again. I promise to never allow somebody to get that close to me that I get hurt or I, I go through that pain again. And we make these vows in our lives, don't we? I promise to, to shut down my heart. I promise to shut down my home. I promise to shut down that relationship and keep people at a distance. And you know the problem with that is, is when we begin to shut stuff down, they're not the prisoner we are because we've just shut down our lives. We become the prisoners. Honor and dishonor actually determines our kingdom inheritance. If we choose to honor, then Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, then it will go well for you. If we choose dishonor, then that hurt, that bitterness, that stuff will just keep popping up in every relationship that we have. It'll keep popping up in different moments in our lives. And so we choose to honor because we're learning to be an honorable people. We're learning to be an honorable people. And Jesus says, every time we honor others, every time we look for the good, every time we do that, he says, every time you do it for the least of these, you do it to me. When we honor people, we're actually honoring Jesus. We're honoring Jesus. And he blesses that with his presence. He blesses that with his presence. If we want an increase of the presence of God in our lives, of course, I'm sure we all want, we want that. Then we need to begin to practice this. We need to begin to practice it. And listen, it's not about being perfect, right? We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall short in this stuff. But actually, it's not about perfection. It's about devotion. It's about devotion. It's about Jesus. So can we stand together and get the, the worship team back up if that's okay? It's our commitment in this church to pursue honor. We want to do that. We want to guard that. It's something that we want to create as a culture, but it's also something that we need to guard and we need to go after, okay? So it's our commitment to actually pursue that. Um, but there's one thing that I want, um, want you to do this week. One more bit of homework. Take a deep breath. One more bit of homework. Um, and it's this. Right now where you're standing, I want you to think of the person that is causing you the most trouble in your life. If you look and turn to the person beside you, you're going to be in more trouble, right? If you make eye contact with anybody in this moment. But I want you to consider the person that is actually bringing you the most stress and trouble into your life. You're all looking at me, so I can assume it's me for now. Right. That person that's creating that most stress and trouble for you right now. And what you need to do in this moment is you need to ask God, what is the goal that you have put in that person's life? What is the goal that you have put in that person's life? Just like when Jesus went to Simon, which means broken reed, and he called him Peter, which means rock. It's like, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to consider you according to who you were. I'm going to consider you according to who God called you to be. I'm going to consider you according to your inheritance, right? What is the goal that God has put in that person's life? 
What is he speaking over them? What is he calling them into? And if you've got enough courage this week, I want to encourage you to go and tell that person what you see in them. The reflection of God's character. This, this is a big challenge, right? This is, not, this is not a light thing. And I'm actually really serious about this. Like if, we, if we're genuine about seeing honor being released in, in our lives, even in this church, then these are the type of things we need to do. What has God placed in that person? And I want to encourage you to go after that this week. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you, God, that you are a God who is not a God who sits on a throne and watches us as we make mistakes and fail spectacularly and do all those things. But you're a God who also draws near to us. You're a God who walks beside us. You're a God who leads us. And your goal is never to lead us into slavery, but your goal is to bring us into freedom. You want us to take us from a place of being bound and lead us into a place of inheritance. Lead us into the place of your promise and your presence. We thank you that you are the God who was, the God who is, and the God who forever will be. The God who leads us into life, not back to Egypt. Lord, I pray right now just for the courage to be able to release honor to the people that have caused us harm pray for the boldness to be able to step out and actually go, you know what, I'm choosing to leave that dishonor behind and I'm choosing to focus to the exclusion of everything else. I'm choosing to focus on the goal that God has put into that person's life. God, give us the courage and the boldness to do this, Lord. Just as I was preparing this, I felt three things uh, specifically, three uh, circumstances I think some people are going through. Um, feel like God has some grace to help you in this. Uh, someone in the room, um, you've been let down by a business partner um, and you feel completely betrayed. Uh, I think it might be because they've left you with huge financial burdens because of their actions. And I sense the Lord saying to you two things. Number one, you need to forgive them. And secondly, reclaim and initiate honor in that relationship. And when you do that, watch what the Lord is going to do. Watch it, how he is going to restore and do stuff there. Second one, a marriage in the room and you've suffered a betrayal. Um, and that's already been forgiven. It's already been forgiven. Um, but it's time to actually honor again. It's time to honor and trust. And what I sense in this was the Lord was saying, it's time to remove the rules. It's time to remove the rules and rediscover love and honor and trust again. And then the third one, is there some fathers in the room who have a great fear their children are going to make decisions that are detrimental to their future. Uh, it's kind of based on the mistakes that you made when you were that age. Um, but it's time now to stop investing into the rules. It's time to begin investing into honor. Um, it's to focus more on the relationship, to focus more on honor than on the rules. Um, I'm speaking this and those people already know it's them, right? As I'm saying this, you already know. You already know the outcome. I need to invest into relationship and not rules. Um, so Lord, I pray if for whoever those are for, I pray, God, that you just give us the grace to step into what you have for us. Uh, the courage and the boldness to be uh, sons and daughters and to have a sons and daughters mentality. Uh, and God, I just pray even for the rest of us this week, God, that we choose uh, to walk uh, in your pathways. God, we choose to walk in your uh, God-given destiny for our lives, not 
our best thoughts or our best intentions, but for what you have for us, Father. And so, God, I pray just, uh, just be with us, God. Just lead us, Holy Spirit. We can't do this without you. We need you. Jesus, you are everything today. You are everything today, Jesus. Lord, I pray you just have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.